Well, good morning. I am Tommy. I am um, youth minister here in uh, Scott's place this morning. Um, Scott has a surprise vacation from his wife. He uh, did not know about this. I did. I've known about it for, I don't know, maybe a year. Um, His wife likes to do that for him. Scott's not the best at taking rests, um, so she loves to surprise him with vacations. I'll partner with that. So I'm going to bring the word to us today from Genesis chapter 28. Before we get into that, I want to dismiss our Kids for Christ group. So if you are elementary age, we're going to send you guys out this door here for worship um, downstairs. Kids for Christ. If you do have your Bible with you, and I hope you do, um, I would ask that you would open up to Genesis chapter 28. That's where we're going to be landing this morning. We'll be in um, a little bit before, a little bit after, if you'd like to flip around, but mostly we'll be in Genesis this morning. But before I jump into the text, I really need to warn you that um, if I have to exit the stage really fast, it's because I'm not feeling very well. Um, I've been struggling with some weird stomach thing this morning, and so I'm not 100%. don't really know what percent I'd be, but just not 100. And I hate to say that because what I know is that even now that I've said that to you, it's going to be a distraction. And so I didn't even want to say that because some of you are like, oh, that's weird, that's gross, and some of you are taking bets about whether or not I will. Um, <laughs> but I, I, I don't want to have to say that to you, but I felt like I did, and Eric's ready. He's going to jump up and just continue on if that's the case. But I, I just don't feel well um, this morning, and so I I hate that. And what I don't want to have happen, and really what I've just been praying about all morning, is that God's Word would shine through in spite of whether I'm excited or whether I'm not feeling well, that God's Word would shine through regardless of whether I'm feeling 100% or not. And I want to tell you that I believe that, and I believe that the enemy would do anything that he could to hide God's Word and to, to make it concealed But today what we want to do is reveal it, and so we're going to look into Genesis. We've been studying through this book of Genesis. I have to declare that I believe Genesis is an awesome book. I've enjoyed my opportunity this week to study. Whenever you get to preach, you have the opportunity to study in depth beyond what you typically are able to do. And so all throughout the week, I've had this opportunity to really dig in deeply into the text. And the real hard part is not a lack of information. There's so much information. The hard part is trying to take all of this, this, these treasures that I've uncovered, um, that, that's been revealed through commentary, and to, to wrap that into 30 minutes. That's, that's a real challenge. Um, and so I would encourage you, if you're loving Genesis, if you're digging into God's Word, that you as well would take an opportunity, as I've had this week, to dig into some deeper commentary on this passage, because I'll tell you, it's rich. It's been fun researching this. I began in the early part of the week to just read modern commentators' thoughts on Genesis and to hear what they had to say. And then as the week kind of progressed on, I started to read some of the ancient Christian commentary on Scripture. And let me just tell you, I I went from feeling kind of good to, oh, wow, that's a whole new set of ideas. This ancient Christian commentary is an awesome commentary series. But I was immediately introduced to a whole nother spectrum of ideas and thoughts about this passage today. So I want to declare kind of in your presence, and I would just think that you would declare with me the statement of worship, really, that God's Word is immensely deep. God's Word is immensely deep and rich with treasure. If you believe that, will you say amen? Amen. 
I tell you, it's a worshipful time when we can declare that God's Word is deep and true and rich. And so as we jump in, um, we, we are find and faced with a God who is sovereign, a God who is holy, and then we're confronted with who we are. And we open up the text, and as we read, we can't help but see the difference between us and God, and certainly for me, some of that was taking place in Genesis 28. I, like Scott confessed last week, am a sinner. Hopefully that's not a news flash to you. You're not thinking, oh no, cross another one off the list. Um, I'm a sinner, and... Um, you know, it'd be a good bet to say that you are um, as well. But it's weird to think about that. But the reality is when we approach Scripture, sometimes that, that um, will cause us to look at ourselves and we'll kind of hold ourselves up to who we see God in Scripture. And, and our sin becomes revealed. And I, I feel looking through this passage, I, I know that in so many ways that you and I, as we look in this today, can see this uh, story of a man named Jacob a guy who's dug himself into a pretty deep situation of his own sin. And it's the kind of sin that has really steep consequences. But I, just like you do, sometimes end up in sin. And being in sin, we are not in a situation to be hearing from God. And yet, that's exactly what happens in our story today. That even though Jacob is not in a situation to hear from God, he does. And so our big idea is that God is sovereign and fully in charge. And you and I, like Jacob, are not in any position to deserve salvation. And yet, it is given to us by grace. And that grace comes to us through Jesus Christ. This past week in a study group that I'm leading called The Attributes of God, our topic was grace. And we talked about uh, grace being something that God is rather than something God has. That's true. Grace is something that God is, not something God has. It's not like a faucet that's turned on or turned off, but grace is who God is. And grace has always been because God has always been. The channel that God reveals His grace to us is always, always, always through Jesus. The channel, the, the avenue by which God reveals His grace to us is always through Jesus. And the mind-blowing moment today in our passage is that Jesus shows up in the middle of the text of Genesis. Let's pray. Father, certainly it is our genuine desire to hear and see from Jesus Christ, to know Him in Your Word, to know Him in our lives. We pray that You would be gracious to us this morning, that we would gain insight into the gospel story. Amen. 
Well, please do open up to Genesis 28, and uh, just if you look at that in sections, just want to tell you that section, uh, ch- verses 1 through 9 are often dealt with with the previous chapter. Uh, that, that's kind of some carryover from 27, and it was where Scott was dealing with some last week, and then 10 through 22 is often dealt with kind of as one unit. And so therefore, in order for us to really grab this whole context for Genesis 28, we're going to need to maybe peek back at Genesis 27. We're not going to read Genesis 27, but maybe you want to peek back and refresh your memory about what's going on there because there's this summary that's going to help us understand exactly what's going on. Maybe you forgot or you've missed out on last week, but really this this first point in your outline is just a summary statement. It's going to help you and I grab onto this context that we are at. And that first fill-in for you is that Jacob flees his own deception. Jacob flees his own deception. Scott taught us last week that Jacob worked himself into this strange position, that this wild thing took place, that before Jacob was ever born, before he was even on the earth, God promised that he would have firstborn rights. That's in Genesis 25. Verse 23, it says, The Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb, and two peoples from within you shall be divided. The one shall be stronger than the other. The older shall serve the younger. God has promised Jacob, as the younger son, the birthright. But he doesn't wait on God. He takes matters into his own hands. He very well knows this promise, knows what's going on, is very close with his mother whom God revealed this to. But instead, he acts deceitfully and he lies. And Esau wants to kill him. Esau, Jacob's brother, wants to kill him because of the deceit. In fact, it says Esau's hatred was so deep in chapter 27, verse 42. It says that it was so deep that the actual thought of killing him brought comfort. Crazy. He hated his brother because he took what he felt was rightfully his, although that's kind of a crazy story to trade it for some soup. But a wild story going on. The reality here is that Jacob, who had a promise from God, has not waited on God, but yet in fact taken matters into his own hands and has ended up in a twisted mess. This mess of sin has consequences. And they are bearing down on him now. This position that he's in, this position that he has gotten himself into, Well, it's not the position you would expect the heir of Abraham's covenant to be in. And yet, here he is, fleeing from his own deception. There's some really cool stuff that happens where Rachel, uh, Rebecca um, kind of arranges it so that um, he can get out of town by talking to Isaac. And um, so essentially all that's taking place and that brings us here into chapter 28. And in chapter 28 we see this really awesome picture where God steps in. It seems as if Jacob is fleeing out of town because he's in a big mess. And yet, right in the middle of that mess, a God moment comes to us in the Word. Verse 3 through 5 of Genesis 28. God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and multiply you, that you may become a company of peoples. May He give you the blessing of Abraham to you and your offspring with you, that you may take possession of the land 
of your sojourings that God gave to Abraham. Thus Isaac sent Jacob away, and he went to Padan Aram to Laban, the son of Bethuel, the Armenian, the brother of Rebekah, Jacob's and Esau's mother. So here we have Isaac as a father giving a blessing to Jacob, and it's uh, the blessing of the covenant of Abraham. The takeaway, Isaac recognizes Jacob as the true heir of God's covenant with Abraham. So this blessing then recognizes the younger son as the third patriarch. God steps in and begins to direct Jacob's flight. And that's your second note there. That God directs Jacob's flight. God steps down in the middle of the crazy mess and this mess that Jacob has created and and proves and reveals that he is sovereign and fully in charge. And so Jacob leaves town. He goes on a journey that likely would have taken him at least three days. Um, He heads away and is not really that far from home when he lays down at at night and he takes a... um, a stone for a pillow, and in, in verses 10 through 15, this is what we read. Jacob left Beersheba and went to Haran. And he came to a certain place and stayed there that night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head and lay down in that place to sleep. It's a great pillow, I imagine. Verse 12, as he dreamed, behold, there was a ladder set up on the earth. And at the top of it, reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie I will give to you and to your offspring. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth. And you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. God steps in. In the middle of Jacob's mess, God steps in and we have this incredible vision. This awesome vision of, of, of a ladder, of, of stairs, it can be translated either way. And, and I don't care if you think about a, a ladder with rungs coming down. It, it doesn't matter if you think about steps. It doesn't matter if you think about a ziggurat like, uh, that's kind of like a, a big Tower of Babel looking thing. Uh, it doesn't matter what you look like, the, uh, what you picture. Lots of artists have pictured different things. The reality is that God comes down and reveals this vision... And this promise. It's a connection between heaven and earth. And here's a hint. There's so much Christology in this. It'll blow your mind. You will be, your jaw could drop when you realize just how much Jesus is a part of this vision. You'll explore a lot of that together in your life groups this week. And if you're not in a life group, 
The questions are included in your bulletin, and it would, I would encourage for you to do some of that exploration throughout your week as you would study. Maybe grab your spouse or um, a neighbor and invite them into that study with you because there is wealth and riches to be found as you continue to study the Christ images and symbolisms in this vision. The New Testament, in fact, returns to this vision. Jesus himself references it in a conversation with Nathaniel in John chapter 1. Jesus shows up to Jacob. But it's not clear whether he realizes that or not. It's not totally clear whether Jacob is fully understanding everything that's happening. In fact, we do know that Jacob is struggling and learning what it means to worship God. See, Jacob lives in this culture that's full of polytheism, where people worship many, many gods at the same time. And he's surrounded by this culture and is um, inundated by polytheism, and he's learning and struggling, and, and we can watch that struggle in Genesis, in fact, what it's like to be a monotheist. What is it like to only worship God? So when he's confronted with this vision, we're not exactly sure exactly how much he grasps. However, we know that his life is marked forever by this vision. We know that he, re- he receives a glimpse of, of Christ's revelation. That Christ is the mediator between heaven and earth. We know that is true. John chapter 14, verse 6, Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. We do not come to God except through Jesus. Jesus, who is eternal, who is co-creator. Jesus, who always has been, wasn't just created when he was born a man on earth. The plan didn't just pop into God's mind. God is not uh, controlled by time. This plan has been from the ancient. That God would reveal His grace to us in Jesus. That He is sovereign and fully in charge. And although Jacob is not worthy of such a revelation, although Jacob is not in a position to receive this grace, God steps in and directs the flight of Jacob. God steps in and confirms the Abrahamic covenant. We saw how Isaac confirmed that covenant by blessing his son Jacob. And here in this vision, we see how God confirms that covenant as well. There are a couple ways that he does that. He uses the same type of language that he does with Abraham. He says in verse 13 that the land will be promised. He says right here where you lie, this land that was first promised to Abraham in chapter 13, verse 14 and following. It was reaffirmed to Isaac in chapter 26. And now is affirmed once again to Jacob. You see how we look in Scripture and how God Himself says, I am the God of Abraham and of Isaac. And we'll see later that God says, I am the God of Jacob. Here is God affirming the Abrahamic covenant and saying, you, Jacob, will be the third patriarch. And I will give you this land. In verse 14, we see that um, God assures Jacob that he's going to find a wife. You see, he's on this journey. There's not really much assurance there. It's very important that he finds a wife. 
It's actually part of, of God's creation plan to populate the earth. If He's going to have people that fill the earth as the dust, then He needs to find a wife. And so God promises that He will multiply and that He will have descendants just as He did for Abraham and Isaac. And then what Jacob realizes in the midst of this vision from God is that God's personal presence is here. And we see that in verse 15. With the covenant promises now affirmed, God explains to Jacob the significance of the latter. It is the dynamic presence of God. Not a static presence of God that stays in one place. Do you understand that as Jacob was leaving, it was it was absolutely crazy that God was with him? You see, Jacob grows up in this culture where with polytheism, the gods are where the gods are. They worship idols. They worship images. So for God to say, I am here with you and my presence is dynamic, that's blowing his mind. That's new to him. That's something that rocks his world. And this verse suggests that Jacob is going to continue to wander, but God is promising to be with him. Why? Because God has a plan for his life. And God will see to it that that plan will be fulfilled. The years ahead are going to be difficult, and Jacob would indeed reap some consequences from his sins, but God promises to protect him. And to bless him. Don't you know that this is grace? This is all grace. Jacob is outcast and alone. He merited nothing from God. God uh, met him in his misery with an unparalleled revelation of God's care for his future. Jacob was not seeking God. He was fleeing the consequences of his deception. He was not expecting grace, but grace was unleashed upon his soul. And there wasn't even a word of reproach. This vision of God only brought assurances. The latter then becomes a visible unveiling of the grace of and glory that we can comprehend in the covenant of Abraham and you and I see fully revealed in the Gospel, but it is an unveiling of the grace and glory of God. We sing of this grace often. We sing of this grace when we take the words of John Newton, Through many dangers, toils, and snares I have already come. Tis grace that's brought me safe this far and grace will lead me home. It was grace that brought Jacob safe this far. And grace indeed would lead him home. So Jacob responds. The vision is over and in verse 16 through 22 of Genesis, we see Jacob's response. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place and I did not know it. And he was afraid, and he said, How awesome is this place! This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. So early in the morning, Jacob took the stone that he had put under his head and set it up for a pillar 
and poured oil on the top of it. He called the name of that place Bethel. But the name of the city was Luz at first. Then Jacob made a vow saying, If God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go, and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear, so that I may come again to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God. And this stone which I have set up for a pillar shall be God's house. And all that you give me, I will give a tenth to you. Jacob is astounded. And frankly, who wouldn't be? You get a vision like that, you're going to be afraid. You're going to be amazed. Because God in His sovereignty has stepped in. He is fully in control. And He steps in to give grace not where it was deserved, but it was revealed. Surprise! God is present. God is here. little quick invite to my study group after this is we're going to talk about God's presence. And we're going to talk about how when we feel separate from God, it's not a distance thing, it's a character thing. God is closer to you than your own thoughts. Surprise, Jacob! God is present. God is present everywhere. There is nowhere that you can flee from Him. But this is new because His character is so far from God's. So Jacob's response, verse 17, this is none other than the house of God. And this is the gate of heaven. The expression, the gate of heaven, maybe you want to draw this out um, and make a note that the gate of heaven was prompted by the ladder. That, That phrase, gate of heaven, comes from his seeing the ladder and the house of God. That's him bracing the reality that God is in this desolate place. God is here, house of God, the ladder That is, the gate of heaven. In his amazed and fearful state, Jacob does what he knows to do. He offers this form of of sacrificial worship. And there are a couple lines of thought for this setting up of the stone to make a pillar. There are a couple different ways you can think about that. The first is that we know that setting up pillars was a pagan form of worship. That is true. That, That that pagan worship involved setting up pillars. They worshipped stones. If they thought a stone looked really cool, they would set it up, build some stuff around it, and worship it. That's just what went on. So that's something that was familiar. Certainly Jacob's, Jacob's pillar is not an idol. He, he's not um, worshipping the, the stone. But he's doing something and perhaps he's mimicking what he's seen in his polytheistic worship experience but we do know god's not all about that kind of worship in fact there are lots of places where god specifically forbids pillar worship you can look in deuteronomy 16:22 exodus 23:24 exodus 34:13 leviticus 26:1 deuteronomy 12:3 god expressly forbids pillar worship because it is idolatry Jacob was most likely mimicking what he knew to be a sacrificial form of worship. Well, that's one way to think of it. The second, this comes from the ancients. This idea is attributed to Augustine and Jerome. That the stone that Jacob set up is Christ. The stone is Christ, the cornerstone. The one that the builders rejected. 
this very stone as Christ walked down that road with some reading. And that's some cool stuff. Because you've got all kinds of symbolism with the pouring of the oil or the anointing. You've got symbolism with the Ebenezer as we see in Samuel, the Ebenezer stone. I'll tell you what, it's fun to read and and explore the depths of God's Word. It is fun. You can get joyful insight into God's Word. But here's the truth about the stone in my eyes. It doesn't matter which one of those it is. I think the point that we need to grab is that Jacob is expressing a demonstration of worship in whatever way he knows. It is a demonstration of his love and devotion to God and it marks a special place that he fully intends to return. And in fact, he does in Genesis 35. Jacob worships God. And then starting in verse 20, he makes a vow. Well, the vow has two different ways to look at it as well. There are two different ways you could interpret this vow because there's a really key word there, um, a Hebrew word, that could make a real big difference depending on how you translate it. You can translate it as if Jacob is bargaining and saying, if, if you, well, if this, or that same word can be translated since, since, since God you are. I'm not sure if Jacob's trying to strike a deal with God. That'd kind of be along with his character. Or if he's making a powerful statement of worship. I don't know which one it is, but I do know that Jacob promises to serve and worship God. Jacob may be having this vow that we don't want to imitate at all. Because this is the bargaining Jacob. This is the, I take your birthright Jacob. This is the, that doesn't look too pretty vow Jacob. Or he may be declaring this powerful act of worship and learning what it's like to follow God. We know that there's still some struggle. He deals with polytheism even after this event. It's not until he has this ultra-cool wrestling event um, that, uh, that he really figures out what it's like to follow God. And we'll get to that later in Genesis. Here's what I want you and I to grab, is that we're so much more like Jacob than we realize at first. We are. If you think you're not like Jacob, I invite you to look into Scripture. You'll find yourself there. Oftentimes, it is us who runs from God in our sin. We are the ones who are lying down in ignorance. We are full of fear. We are wondering what might become of our life. We are fleeing the consequences of sin. We are trying to grasp God's promise for us by doing things ourselves. We will work it out ourselves. We will take that birthright whatever that may be for you, ourselves. We don't want God to do His part. We take matters into our own hands and we become like Jacob. But God is sovereign and fully in charge. And you and I, although we are like Jacob and sinners, we are not in a position to deserve salvation. We are not in a position where we deserve God's grace. And yet He steps in and reveals His grace to us through Jesus. It is always through Jesus by which God's grace is revealed. Always. Always. By Jesus. 
the grace that was revealed in Genesis, the grace that is given to Jacob, the grace that will be given to Moses, the grace that has been given for all of creation is the grace that is given us in Jesus Christ. Jacob looks toward the cross and toward a Messiah who will mediate heaven and earth and who will direct all traffic. And we look back at Jesus who has come and who has torn the veil of the temple and and given us a new insight on this reality that we have access to God through Him. We look back at Jesus, Jacob looks forward to Jesus, and we share in the grace that God is. He is a gracious God. He doesn't dole it out to some more than others. God is gracious, and He reveals that to us in Jesus Christ. Maybe today you would like to accept the grace of God through Christ for the very first time. And that you would acknowledge your sin by coming up and repenting of sin and and accepting the grace that comes through God by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Maybe you need to make that decision this morning by entering the waters of baptism for the first time ever. Maybe you know that you need to re-examine your heart. Maybe you're running. Maybe you're running and God is revealing Himself to you. And you need to stop running. And you need to open yourself up to the grace and say, God, I'm done trying to take birthrights, trying to take covenant promises, trying to take things out of Your Word and make it happen in my life. I'm done with that. I'm giving control to You. Folks, you'll flesh all that out in your life groups this week and Please, if you're not in a life group, please do look through the questions and do those with your spouse or a neighbor or at the very least on your own. And please see the grace of God in Jesus Christ revealed to Jacob and revealed to you. Let's pray.